I'm Kate Remington with Jared Emerson Johnson. It's really great to have a chance to meet you. It's wonderful to meet you too. Thanks for thanks for reaching out. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking with you about the remastered soundtracks that you did for some classic Sam and Max games. And they were created by Telltale originally, and then they've been remastered by some former members of Telltale. And so what was your first thought when they approached you to redo the music? was very exciting and I kind of I kind of got an early scoop on it because one of the one of the people that founded Skunk Ape Games that are doing the remasters is one of my best oldest friends we met in junior high school and became close in in high school and then both worked for Telltale sort of I I, I would think I was there a few months before before he got hired and uh, it's Jake Rodkin and um so we've been old friends for a long time. So we had been talking about it before it was even happening as sort of a pipe dream that like you know maybe you know maybe Maybe there's a way to get these games remastered and get them kind of updated for the modern day. And uh, I was ecstatic. I was excited. Um, I, you know, especially with those early seasons, you know, the first season in particular, the, the pace of the production was so fast that there were, as great as those games were, there were things that felt somewhat unfinished or like, oh, if we only had a little more time, we could do X, Y, Z. And the idea of having a chance to do that, I mean, it always, I think every project feels like that a little bit at the end. And to actually have a chance to go back and like do all the do all the cool ideas you didn't have time for uh, was was a real treat. I can imagine. I mean, it must have been so much fun to just sort of, you know, crack open the archive or crack open the files and and go back and revisit them. And yeah, just coming just going back 15 years in your own life, too. And just like, oh, like I was a slightly different person back then and and having a chance to kind of relive what it was like making it for the first time with all of the experience uh, in the intervening years was was great. Oh, sure. And you've got tools now that you didn't have back then. And I'm wondering if there was ever a point when you were listening to the original files, you were wondering how you even managed it with oh, the resources you had at the time. Absolutely. That is absolutely the case. It's a lot easier now. And it was just great, you know, even, you know, beyond the, the live recording we did that, you know, for some of the sampled material, just, just being able to go in and put in modern samples and just kind of improve every aspect of it that way. Um, every Everything is easier and better now. So <laughs> it, was, it was great. Well, yeah. let, let's back up a little bit. And, and I'd love to talk with you about, first of all, how you got connected to these games with Telltale and what the original ideas for the music were. Yeah, well, I uh, we, we met with Telltale, me and my business partner, Julian, who's a sound designer, voice director. Uh, met with them really early on as they were kind of getting getting their thing started and they didn't have an internal audio team and they you know wanted a solution for that and we said yeah let's count us in and then very shortly thereafter they said you know we're going to be making a Sam and Max game and so uh, we were all very excited about that you know I'd been a fan I, I, I never actually worked at LucasArts before that but Julian had and um, but you know those old LucasArts games were the reason that I got into this line of work in the first place. Um, just loved those old scores and gave me an idea of like what game music could be beyond you know <laughs> beyond 
a narrow a narrower idea of it. So, uh, so they they reached out and we um, we started chatting and met with Steve Purcell. And I, one of the story I've told a few times before, but it's memorable and fun, was in a very first meeting with Steve Purcell to talk about the music. I'd been listening to a lot of things for reference and kind of inspiration to kind of talk about my ideas for what I, you know, the direction I thought the music could go that would be fun. And um, before I had a chance to talk about that, Steve was like, you know, I was thinking like, I don't know if you know the score to Touch of Evil or something like that. And I reached into my laptop bag and pulled out the CD at the time, because that's <laughs> how long ago. And I'm like, yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing.
so it was kind of a great uh, moment where we were very much on the same page from the beginning with sort of a yeah cartoon noir and 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 you know we had the benefit of you know the the original LucasArts game the hit the road game uh established you know a certain type of sound that we could you know start from as a springboard and kind of go from there into a new thing for what the types of games were going to be like at Telltale. Well, that that sound is such a great fit with the, you know, really deadpan character of Sam and the wisecracking Max and just the whole world of the game. And as I was listening to it, I it really struck me that it sounded reminiscent of um, Henry Mancini's music for Peter Gunn, too. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those old sort of 50s, 60s uh, noir things, definitely, definitely lots of Mancini and some some other influences there but yeah we we one of the fun things about it is like the games are so goofy and so silly but the music can sometimes you can, we can almost give it like a serious tone occasionally and it um the contrast of that can be compelling as well right so it's it's sort of that balance where the music can get as goofy as the jokes are sometimes but then sometimes it's almost funnier to play it super straight with the music well, yeah, uh, I, and actually, I wanted to talk to you about that because you can go in a lot of different directions with a game right. that's funny, and and yeah, you're right. Sometimes it works better if the music plays the straight man, and just right. let's and so you're not like cueing the player that oh, there's a joke coming up. And the Sam and Max humor is so specific, right? It's not, it's not, it, it's not the familiar cartoon humor. It's it's very much its own brand, and I think having this world that's sort of sort of real and serious and then them in it doing their thing and then these other characters coming in and being sort of totally up you know off the wall uh it just makes it that much funnier that contrast and i think especially in season three which we haven't even got got to yet but um in season three we really went went hard with that and it was a, a ton of fun because just taking it almost like totally seriously in the music for certain scenes just makes them hysterical when the characters are so absurd on top of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, that contrast is just, it's really cool. And as you were putting together the instrumentation, I mean, how did you decide, you know, basically who was going to be in the band for uh, right. the music mix? <laughs> well, it, there were a lot of considerations. And early on, you know, the budgets were small. So a lot of how that got decided was the fact that, you know, we didn't have a gigantic budget to hire a huge band. So it was sort of very carefully choosing like, you know, we, we want a live sound, um, but we can't have a 12 piece or, you know, a, a full or a 16 piece full, you know, big band to, to cover spots like that. So, you know, what are the instruments that we could uh, bring in that have the most character that would really uh, sort of sell the fact that this is real people performing music and not just, you know, program stuff. And so um, a new trumpet and saxophone had to be in there. And for the early, for the first season, it really was just trumpet, saxophone, and live drums um, were the only live instruments, and and other stuff was all was all sampled. And then as we went along, budgets got a little more um, filled out, and we were able to have live trombone as well. And but often the players were layering with themselves, you know. So it'd be you know there might be three trumpet parts, and it's all the same person performing them. Um, but yeah, getting that real live feeling even though it, you know at the time that the budget wasn't big enough for a full huge giant band um and and beyond the budget the, the time too i mean we were we were making those games very quickly the first season especially and so to uh to just get it all done and get ready for the next one 
there was a lot of practicality involved. But yeah, I think that I spent quite a bit of time making sure we kind of found the right people, the right players, the right musicians for that, who really got what we were going for. Because uh, I think sometimes, uh, especially with that kind of session work where musicians are just coming in on the day, you know, they've seen the music for maybe a couple of days at a time, or maybe not, depending on how hot off the presses it is. And to, to have them understand like, yeah, okay, so this is the chart, but like you can like, you can get a little wild with it. You can, you know, we I, I want I wanted it to be an expression of their musical sensibility as much as it was of my writing, uh, because I knew that getting some of that idiomatic playing in there would make it totally clear to everyone listening, like, oh, this is, these are real performers. These are real, a real performances happening.
and you were able to bring some of them back for the remastered versions too, right? We brought as many of them back as, as we could. Um, some of them had moved and some of them uh, had passed away, unfortunately. But we, we brought everyone back that, that was available. Uh, and that was just a treat. And I, I, you know, I'd work with them off and on on other projects, but uh, there was something, I think everybody was just delighted you know, when, when they got the call and, they, they, and almost laughed at first, you know, just like, are you kidding? Like, this is, a, that's crazy. Cause <laughs> it was like, you know, they came in for a couple of days, 15 years ago, and then 13 years ago, whatever it was. Um, and they just thought it was a, a treat. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I mean, cause you don't get a second pass or a second opportunity. Well, exactly. I mean, it's very much stuff. like with, with the writing, right? Like it was just the, this idea that like, oh man, I get to go back and do that stuff. And I have the knowledge and benefit of having done all this other stuff so i know exactly that they all knew exactly what what it was going to be like what was expected and the kind of the style that we were going for and the type of humor it is so, yeah there's a certain shorthand in talking with them about it that was great yeah i bet i mean did you freshen up their parts at all uh yeah some i mean a lot of the stuff we recorded was new actually for for the stuff so that you know there were there was quite a bit of new new music material that went into both of the existing remasters up to date a good like a good 20 30 minutes of music in i think both of them of new stuff um and so we, we were doing that and then yeah we touched up some of the old stuff as well there were some tracks that like had never been live before that were just either they were like part of a cutscene or uh, something that was written after we had recorded the music for the episode but we always were like oh it would have been great if that could have been live and so we went back and put that back in so yeah it was it was fun kind of putting all the putting all the broken pieces back together. Yeah, <laughs> I'll bet. Well, it must have been fun to go back to that world and write new music for it, too. I mean, yeah, I'm, incredibly so. I, I knew it was going to be fun, but it was more fun than I was expecting because it's funny, like at the time, you don't realize how much you're going to look back on something fondly right when you're doing it. And um, at the time, I was just like, oh, I'm just doing this and I'm doing that. And then there was no Sam and Max for like a decade. And I was working on lots of other things that were fun, but the the process is very different for different styles of music. And I hadn't really had much in that same style in the intervening years. So it was just kind of, it was really like, sort of like going home in a way, like just, uh, just getting back into that, you know, first starting by listening through all the old stuff again and being reminded of things I'd completely forgotten about. And then being able to come at it with, with you know, a slightly more uh, gray and mature <laughs> sense of things. Um, <laughs> was really fun actually because I was I was pretty young you know it was one of my first big projects when I was doing those and uh, I'm proud of, of every note I wrote for it but it was fun to go back with having had 10 years of additional experience and uh, and sort of find find those new little like uh, holes in the structure that like I hadn't really pursued before you know it's like not holes in the structure but holes in the style I guess where it's like I did a thing like this and I did a thing like this but never quite went over into this arena so like we in the season two we have sort of like an um, almost like what do we call it? exotica like tiki oh yeah sort of vibe going on and for the tiki stuff we did originally it was a lot more sort of like Disneyland Adventureland um drums type thing but I, I went way full more like tiki lounge 50s and 60s style thing with the new stuff and I think that I maybe I just at the time back in the day wasn't as versed in that style of music so just having a little more experience having a little more just better ideas about cool ways to take it sure well you really nailed it because as I was listening to that and then playing the game I was like where's my Mai Tai and so yeah, I know. <laughs> 
I've, I've had more my ties in the intervening years than I had at the time of the original book. It must have been so much fun working on this series, all of these, because they gave you, it sounds like, a lot of freedom to just go mm -hmm. in so many different directions. Yeah. And that's that was always one of the fabulous things about really about all of those old Telltale games, but especially in the early years, especially with Sam and Max, just kind of, there was definitely a sort of like unleashing feeling where, and with Sam and Max too, where, the, you know, there's not, there aren't quite the boundaries that there are with other um, franchise things, you know, um, and, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's sort of a jazz thing, but you can go pretty wide in either direction outside of that. And yeah, so definitely freeing. A lot of fun. You know, and, and and playing through the games again, it just reminded me there's something really, I don't know, identifiable about Telltale's games. They've got all the games have this like really strong DNA. I mean, you can just tell it's a Telltale game. And I'm wondering what you enjoyed about working with that team and then what you were able to kind of pull from that with um, the, the team that made these uh, remasters. Well, the best, I mean, I've said before the best thing about Telltale always and always always has been always will be the the people. It was it was an incredibly talented group of people. I mean, every game company has a lot of talent, but like the just the number of like truly brilliant and really dedicated, passionate people there was the ratio was just higher than average. I would say, especially early on when it was small. You know, it was small, but every single person there was was uh, essential and. And just fun to work with, but really, it was very inspiring because of that. And I think that, um, I mean, and that—that's the same answer for with Skunk Ape because it's the same people. <laughs> it's a lot of, and and the Skunk Ape group is, you know, it's it's some of the people that were right there from the very beginning at Telltale, who were always just the most fun to work with, and always everyone creative in their own field, um, but beyond the scope of their own field. So you know, there's programmers with really good narrative sensibilities and design sensibilities and vice versa and I think that that just and you know yeah designers that have a really good sense of art and I think that having this sort of interdisciplinary uh, interests and skills really makes for a better thing and that was that was just always the case um, at Telltale especially in the in the early Sam and Max years. Yeah well so did you with like the meetings uh, where they were giving you feedback for for the music and stuff, was it more than just the audio director or uh, the other people kind of in on the meetings? Or? It was very much, I mean, we, we had like, we had meeting meetings and then we just had sort of chats and stuff going too. And there was a lot of kind of casual back and forth and a lot of, you know, oh, what about this? What about that? And, and I mean, we all, you know, I had, I had the 10 years intervening to think about what I wanted the music to be, but so had everybody else. So I think everybody came into it with like, oh my God, it'd be great if we could do this. Oh my God, it'd be great if we could do that. Like all, all these little things that had always been on sort of wish lists, but there just was never time for. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I know that that's a, you know, sort of a, um, comes with the territory for, for mm -hmm. writing music for media. There's never enough time to really yeah. polish things up as much as you would like to. And I'm wondering what it was like, because the original games were released as episodes. I mean, right. how did that affect your, you know, production or pipeline? Yeah, well, I mean, there, there was like a separate recording session for each episode, had to be. And uh, the way we did it for Sam and Max, in a way, it sort of that, that sort of solidified the process that we ended up using for all of the Telltale games beyond that. Um, because, because of the episodic nature of it, there was just a certain like regimenting that had to happen just to get it done at all. And the, uh, that first season of Sam and Max in particular, I, I believe like it was a monthly release schedule. 
and that was announced way in advance so we were like it was you had to meet there was no slippage you know <laughs> the deadlines were firm from the very beginning you know for however long production was six seven months for the whole you know and like in five week chunks it was like you know five weeks for f1 five weeks for f2 and so that but that that definitely um there was a certain uh a certain benefit to that. I, I don't, I'm not saying I would want to go back to the again, but it definitely forced a, an amount of organization in my own mind and process um, to just really get things like, okay, by, you know, by this date, I have to do this because we have the sessions there and then it has to be mixed. And then I'm starting the next one that next week. So I have to uh, be ready to go. But yeah, it, it definitely did inform it. And also just the way thinking about the way we reused music as well, because, you know, you have it, it's a whole season, but each episode is being made on its own as one thing. And so the further you get along, the more material you have to work with. So that first episode always had the most new material because th there was nothing else to pull from. And then episode two, you know, you're making all the new stuff for that, but you have everything from the first episode if you need to pull back from that. And then three, you have twice as much. And yeah, so it's like starting at the top of the mountain and then kind of. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, I, I love how you gave a musical signature to a lot of the characters like Bosco. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And <laughs> and so it must have made that a little bit more streamlined because you kind of knew what his musical identity was going to be. So once you'd established that, maybe it was easier you know, in other other episodes where he pops up, you've got that kind of musical identity. And that was really, I think, taking a, a page from the old LucasArts adventure game playbook. I mean, all the, the, the hit the road, but also the Monkey Island games and um, the way that theme was handled by, you know, the composers there back in the kind of the golden era of, of LucasArts adventure games and, you know, between like 1990 and 1996 or something that they, they really did kind of establish a, a form to be emulated, I think, with the way character and theme can be handled in a game like that. And I, I certainly was looking looking back to my elders at the time to see like, <laughs> how do they do this? Oh, this works really well. Let's do that again.
really well because it's not like a peter and the wolf kind of thing where it's right. the yeah, same yeah. every time so um variation and yeah little, little hooks to to trigger the mind to make a connection yeah for sure um i'm curious about how you know with a, a point and click adventure game it could take a player a while to figure out how to solve the puzzle and stuff and so i'm wondering how you created loops because it doesn't mm -hmm. get repetitive um you know you can be there clicking on stuff for a long time and yeah. <laughs> until you figure it out but the music is it's got such nice variation good well we we were aware of that and we we, we knew that that would be a concern and part of that part of what was great about having the live players is you know i would have them perform the parts as written you know with whatever idiomatic liberties they wanted to take to you know if i wrote four notes but if they're like oh it'd sound better if it was just blah then we'll go with the block because that'll you know if that's if that's the way you want to play it that'll sound more real so we did that but then we'd i'd also let them go through the form with an improvisational thing where they're either you know sticking somewhat close to the music or just going totally wild and then we take that but and, and it made sense right with the especially with the more traditional jazzy stuff like that's the way you play it in a club right you play the written part and then people go wild and so that was an easy way without having to spend a lot of additional time in production to take a loop that might be a one and a half minute loop but now suddenly it's four and a half minutes because we have these solo sections um and and that just made it feel that much more like it was you know real people in a real room <laughs> playing music together well um, yeah there, there's one track in uh sam and max save the world called quiet on the set that sounds like it's mostly improv yeah yes and it was actually that one that one i think the the parts that were written were almost entirely not the instruments that ended up being the live instruments so there was this foundation kind of framed out and then it was just like you know we're in G minor and <laughs> here it is <laughs> and it's moody. Well, it, it, it sounded like, you know, the, the warm up before a set would start kind of, and right. you know, the jazz clubs kind of starting to fill up and stuff, but the yeah, musicians are yeah, still on the stage. Up and, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. 
you know, I'm curious, you, you mentioned that you were, well, not a new compo- a new composer at, at writing music for media, but it was fairly early in your career that you were working on this. And so I'm kind of wondering what working on this music really taught you that you could, you know, take forward to now. Yeah, well, a ton. I mean, it was a, it was very um, humbling at the time, and looking back, it's even more humbling thinking about thinking about it because you know I I had uh, come into this into the industry, you know, be, became interested in game music in the first place because of playing those old LucasArts games and and seeing the way they were handling storytelling and character in in the music, and so to be handed a a new an entirely new original thing that was in that style and not just in that style, but in a franchise that was part of that uh, legacy was um, huge. And I think in some ways being a little, you know, being a younger person at the time, I'd, I wasn't as scared as I probably should have been <laughs> <laughs> just how bad I could have gone. But I knew, I knew I could, I know I, I knew I could do it. It was, it was a style of music that I was comfortable with and, and excited by. And I think I just was so, happy to be doing it that it came pretty naturally but yeah i think that it it um it, uh it's well you know like i was saying too the the structure of doing the, ep- the episodic stuff set a certain regimen in my process that that i use even for non-episodic writing now just getting work done you know oftentimes you know one of the questions i'll get when i meet new people and they're asking about my work is they'll ask about writer's block and i'll just say like i don't I actually don't really ever experience that because there's just no time for it <laughs> in, 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 in that setting. And so I just got used to like, you know, you just, just, it, 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 it will come. And I mean, of course I, sometimes I'll get it, but not in the way that I think some people experience because I just got so used to, you need to, you need to make something today. You know, you might not, it might not be your favorite thing, but you can make it. And if, if you need to revise it tomorrow, you'll revise it tomorrow. But um, just getting used to that, like, just keep writing, you know, write every day thing. I think Stephen King talks about that in terms of literature and just like, you know, you just, you know, if you want to be a writer, you just write. Um, and I, I do, be- I really firmly believe that. And I think it's important to research and think about things as well, but it's, but just doing the process, um, getting, getting things made, even if you throw them out is for me, the, the, way that works sure yeah i mean do you you know if if you are in those few moments where you're like a little bit stuck or you're kind of wondering where to go next how how do you get started with something like that i mean listening to other artists is i think the the best thing you can do i mean i I think it's important to listen to music in other genres especially genres that you maybe wouldn't listen to recreationally you know just just to just to get a sense of how people are handling things, how people are creating different emotional feelings and um, different approaches to the same type of score. And yeah, I, I think that it, it just gives you a vocabulary that, you know, I mean, it's it's not so much the, the cliche of like, well, all the, you know, the best artists steal, it's not so much stealing, but you do get a sense of the, of the uh, architecture that different composers use for different types of feelings and sometimes there are really different approaches to the same endpoint and I think it can be useful to notice those and be like oh yeah what if you what if you designed what if you what if you built it this way instead or what if you started from this point you know even though you're trying to get here what if you started from here first and uh for me that's stimulating I mean for me that gets my mind 
going again if I am feeling like I don't know I don't know what this should be (laughs) (laughs) I think just seeing what other people have done is always like oh that's cool and it's just exciting too because then you're thinking about it more from the listener perspective too which is always important it's so easy to get in your head as a composer of like the the structure and the building of it but it's like well in the end it's going to be this passive experience for the listener and that's the only purpose of doing it in the first place, right? So that has to be, have to be reminded of that sometimes. That it's like they're not going to notice all your clever little things that you're doing. Yeah, right? but but you hope they do. I mean, <laughs> well, that, that's, that's nice when they do. <laughs> but but at, the, at the end of the day, yeah, exactly. Like hopefully they they just experience that and say, oh, that was good. Yeah, right? I mean, and you figure some composer somewhere has solved this problem. And yes. I was talking with Lawrence Chapman about the music that he wrote for mm-hmm. Pendragon, and he had a horn. And then some strings, and he couldn't quite figure out how to make the instrumentation, how, how everything would mesh nicely together. So he started listening to music by Benjamin Britten, who had written music oh, for yeah. Horn and a few strings, and yeah. <laughs> kind of a, you know, coming in from left field sort of thing. But that's that's how he solved that problem. So right, um, I mean, you're right that especially especially looking way back like that to like the masters, yeah, the, all these problems have been solved before, and if and if it's a new thing, then you know. You can probably find a fun way to do it yourself. If, if literally no one has solved the problem before, then you're probably going to do something exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you are. Well, yeah. what is there any, any way, I mean, if you could go back and tell yourself from 15 years ago, don't do it that way. <laughs> Were there any, any, any cues that you thought, well, I really did that the hard way. I'm sure there are. I can't think of any good specific examples right now, but I mean, I, in terms of regrets, I think that sometimes doing things the wrong way can be the, I mean, that's a much better teacher than than just being stuck. I think, you know, one of the things that to this day, I find it's it's funny because it, composing, especially entertainment composing, is can be such a solitary existence, right? You're just in your room thinking about things. But, the, but you know, occasionally there is an opportunity to collaborate with other composers. And every single time I do that, every time I'm working with another peer, I, I come out of it with a like a, I feel like a doubled knowledge of you know different ways to do things and a better ways to do things. Some of them very practical and technical, and some of them just from a different way of thinking about things, different ways of thinking about melody or harmony, and and I, I find that to be true over and over again. I, I mean, there have been you know quite a few times where I've been collaborating with people, including some of the original LucasArts composers who you know set me on this path unknowingly however many years ago and and every time it's it's always just a delight and not just composers too but audio engineers and other people um i think that it's so important to get out of the studio either physically or just in in the sense of communication and talk with other people doing it because everybody does have their own approaches and they're all kind of equally valid and sometimes combining your method with someone else's is like oh that that just saves time and it makes a better end result yeah yeah definitely i mean the the hive mind of game composers mm-hmm. is just so amazing and even though i'm i'm not a composer but i've just learned so much talking with you and all of your colleagues and and it's a, it's a small crew too i mean it's funny the games industry is so huge but like the audio people all know each other for the most part and uh you know and it's a it tends to be a pretty supportive group oh on, for on sure a, it's, yeah it's much less uh, worried about I mean, there's, you know, there's the competition part, but I feel like generally in, in the audio world, it's people are much less concerned about the comp and the competition and more about the 
the form, you know, the art form and, and just like how to make it better as a form for all of us moving forward and just cool tricks and yeah, it's a very supportive community for the most part. Yeah, for sure. And and speaking of um, music from other genres, um, I, this is kind of off topic a little bit, but I I think it's really cool that you've got this sort of side gig with your jug band, the River Tunnel oh, yeah. Skiffles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we uh, I started that like five years ago, something like that. I'd always loved jug band music. My dad introduced me to it when I was a kid, and it was always you know it's just so. It's such happy music and it's such um, community music, right? It's it's all about inclusion and, you know, anyone can join the band is sort of the spirit of it, which in contrast, like with what I was just saying about this, the solitude of, of the monastic composer life, right? <laughs> um, getting out and playing music like that together is like, it's such a, a balm. And for, for many of us, I mean, we, we all started out as players for the most part. I, I know no composer who, started out composing and so in a way it's a return to like sort of the roots and you know we all love performing too <laughs> and and that and that community feeling and again yeah the give and take and it is you learn from that too I mean I I've always found like you know even before the jug band you know I would be singing in choirs or performing in musical theater opera and stuff and doing the live performance and collaboration with other people again I would always come away from that with better ideas for my writing yeah. And and people can go and see you. You guys are playing at the Marin County Farmers Market. Yeah. <laughs> on yeah. April 30th. Every, so <laughs> every Saturday, every final Saturday. Yeah. yeah, we play we play at least once a month. Um it was it slowed down during COVID, obviously, but we're kind of ramping ourselves back up again. And yeah, it's so much fun. And and then there's there's a number of ex Telltale people in the band as well, actually. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. So, so it's it's a it's a great group of people and yeah, fun music, happy toe tappers kids love it yeah yeah well i mean yeah what's not to love and the songs the song the lyrics are funny and so yeah right. I just, <laughs> but it's i don't know i think it's a nice compliment to the amazing musical world that you created for the sam and max games and well thank you so yeah, yeah we play we play some of the old sam and max tunes we play we play the teddy bear song and and the war song in the whole band <laughs> oh that's so great <laughs> wow well yeah. jared it, it's been really really fun to talk with you and uh, i hope we have a chance to connect again because it's, it's i would love great. that yeah. yeah yeah thanks again i really appreciate it yeah thanks for reaching out